Section 6 of The Wound Dresser by Walt Whitman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Letters of 1862 to 3. 1. Washington, Monday forenoon, December 29, 1862. Dear, dear mother, Friday the 19th inst I succeeded in reaching the camp of the 51st New York and found George alive and well. In order to make sure that you would get the good news, I sent back by messenger to Washington a telegraphic dispatch, I dare say you did not get it for some time, as well as a letter, and the same to Hannah at Burlington. I have stayed in camp with George ever since, till yesterday, when I came back to Washington, about the 24th. George got Jeff's letter of the 20th, Mother, how much you must have suffered all that week till George's letter came, and all the rest must too. As to me, I know I put in about three days of the greatest suffering I ever experienced in my life. I wrote to Jeff how I had my pocket picked in a jam and hurry, changing cars at Philadelphia, so that I landed here without a dime. The next two days I spent hunting through the hospitals, walking day and night, unable to ride, trying to get information, trying to get access to big people, etc. I could not get the least clue to anything. Odell would not see me at all. But Thursday afternoon I lit on a way to get down on the government boat that runs to Aquia Creek, and so by railroad to the neighborhood of Falmouth, opposite Fredericksburg, so by degrees I worked my way to Ferrero's brigade, which I found Friday afternoon without much trouble after I got in camp. When I found dear brother George, and found that he was alive and well, oh, you may imagine how trifling all my little cares and difficulties seemed. They vanished into nothing. And now that I have lived for eight or nine days amid such scenes as the camps furnish, and had a practical part in it all, and realize the way that hundreds of thousands of good men are now living and have had to live for a year or more, not only without any of the comforts, but with death and sickness and hard marching and hard fighting, and no success at that, for their continual experience, really nothing we call trouble seems worth talking about. One of the first things that met my eyes in camp was a heap of feet, arms, legs, etc., under a tree in front of a hospital, the Lacey House. George is very well in health, has a good appetite. I think he is at times more wearied out and homesick than he shows, but stands it upon the whole very well. Every one of the soldiers to a man wants to get home. I suppose Jeff got quite a long letter I wrote from camp about a week ago. I told you that George had been promoted to captain. His commission arrived while I was there. When you write, address Captain George W. Whitman, Company K, 51st New York Volunteers, Ferrero's Brigade, near Falmouth, Virginia. Jeff must write oftener and put in a few lines from Mother, even if it is only two lines. Then in the next letter a few lines from Matt and so on. You have no idea how letters from home cheer one up in camp and dissipate homesickness. While I was there, George still lived in Captain Francis's tent. There were five of us altogether, to eat, sleep, write, etc., in a space twelve feet square, 
but we got along very well. The weather all along was very fine, and would have got along to perfection, but Captain Francis is not a man I could like much. I had very little to say to him. George is about building a place, half hut and half tent, for himself. He's probably about it this very day, and then he will be better off, I think. Every captain has a tent in which he lives, transacts company business, etc., has a cook or a man of all work. And in the same tent, mess and sleep his lieutenants and perhaps the first sergeant. They have a kind of fireplace, and the cook's fire is outside on the open ground. George had very good times while Francis was away. The cook, a young disabled soldier, Tom, is an excellent fellow and a first-rate cook and the second lieutenant, Pooley, is a tip-top young Pennsylvanian. Tom thinks all the world of George. When he heard he was wounded on the day of the battle, he left everything, got across the river, and went hunting for George through the field, through thick and thin. I wrote to Jeff that George was wounded by a shell, a gash in the cheek. You could stick a splint through into the mouth, but it has healed up without difficulty already. Everything is uncertain about the army, whether it moves or stays where it is. There are no furloughs granted at present. I will stay here for the present at any rate long enough to see if I can get any employment at anything, and shall write what luck I have. Of course, I am unsettled at present. Dear Mother, my love, Walt. If Jeff or any writes, address me, care of Major Hapgood, Paymaster, U.S. Army, Washington, D.C. I send my love to dear sister Matt and little sis and to Andrew and all my brothers. Oh, Matt, how lucky it was you did not come. Together we could never have got down to see George. 2. Washington, Friday morning, January 2, 1863 dear sister you have heard of my fortunes and misfortunes of course through my letters to mother and jeff since i left home that tuesday afternoon but i thought i would write a few lines to you as it is a comfort to write home even if i have nothing particular to say well dear sister i hope you are well and hearty and that little sis keeps as well as she always had when i left home so far dear little plague how I would like to have her with me for one day. I can fancy I see her and hear her talk. Jeff must have got a note from me about a letter I have written to the Eagle. You may be sure you will get letters enough from me, for I have little else to do at present. Since I laid my eyes on dear brother George and saw him alive and well, and since I have spent a week in camp down there opposite Fredericksburg, and seen what well men and sick men and mangled men endure, it seems to me I can be satisfied and happy henceforward if I can get one meal a day and know that mother and all are in good health, and especially be with you again and have some little steady paying occupation in New York or Brooklyn. I am writing this in the office of Major Hapgood, way up in the top of a big high house corner of 15th and F Street. There is a splendid view, away down south of the Potomac River and across to the Georgetown side, and the grounds and houses of Washington spread out beneath my high point of view. The weather is perfect. I have had that in my favor ever since leaving home. 
Yesterday and today it is bright and plenty warm enough. The poor soldiers are continually coming in from the hospitals, etc., to get their pay, some of them waiting for it to go home. They climb up here quite exhausted, and then find it is no good, for there is no money to pay them. There are two or three paymaster's desks in this room, and the scenes of disappointment are quite affecting. Here they wait in Washington, perhaps week after week, wretched and heartsick. This is the greatest place of delays and puttings off, and no finding the clue to anything. This building is the paymaster general's quarters, and the crowds on the walk and corner of poor, sick, pale, tattered soldiers are awful, many of them day after day disappointed and tired out. Well, Matt, I will suspend my letter for the present and go through the city. I have a couple of poor fellows in the hospital to visit also. Walt. Saturday evening, January 3rd, 1863. I write this in the place where I have my lodging room, 394 L Street, 4th door above 14th Street. A friend of mine, William D. O'Connor, has two apartments on the third floor, very ordinarily furnished, for which he pays the extraordinary price of $25 a month. I have a wary little bedroom on the second floor. Mr. and Mrs. O'Connor and their little girl have all gone out downtown for an hour or two to make some Saturday evening purchases, and I am left in possession of the premises. So I sit by the fire and scribble more of my letter. I have not heard anything from dear brother George since I left the camp last Sunday morning, 28th December. I wrote to him on Tuesday last. I wish to get to him the two blue woolen shirts Jeff sent, as they would come very acceptable to him, and will try to do it yet. I think of sending them by mail, if the postage is not more than one dollar. Yesterday I went out to the Campbell Hospital to see a couple of Brooklyn boys of the 51st. They knew I was in Washington and sent me a note to come and see them. Oh, my dear sister, how your heart would ache to go through the rows of wounded young men as I did and stopped to speak a comforting word to them. There were about one hundred in one long room, just a long shed neatly whitewashed inside. One young man was very much prostrated and groaning with pain. I stopped and tried to comfort him. He was very sick. I found he had not had any medical attention since he was brought there. Among so many he had been overlooked. So I sent for the doctor, and he made an examination of him. The doctor behaved very well, seemed to be anxious to do right, and said that the young man would recover. He had been brought pretty low with diarrhea, and now had bronchitis, but not so serious as to be dangerous. I talked to him some time. He seemed to have entirely given up and lost heart. He had not a cent of money, not a friend or acquaintance. I wrote a letter from him to his sister. His name is John A. Holmes, Campello, Plymouth County, Massachusetts. I gave him the little change I had. He said he would like to buy a drink of milk when the woman came through with milk. Trifling as this was, he was overcome and began to cry. Then there were many, many others. I mention the one as a specimen. My Brooklyn boys were John Lowry, shot at Fredericksburg and lost his left forearm and Amos H. Vliet, 
Jeff knows the latter. He has his feet frozen, and is doing well. The hundred are in a ward, six, and there are, I should think, eight or ten or twelve such wards in the Campbell Hospital. Indeed, a real village. Then there are thirty-eight more hospitals here in Washington, some of them much larger. Sunday forenoon, January 4th, 1863. Matt, I hope and trust dear mother and all are well, and everything goes on good, home. The envelope I send, Jeff or any of you can keep for direction, or use it when wanted to write to me. As near as I can tell, the army at Falmouth remains the same. Dear sister, goodbye. Walt. I send my love to Andrew and Jesse and Eddie and all. What distressing news this is of the loss of the monitor. 3. Washington, Friday noon, February 6th, 1863. Dearest Mother, Jeff must have got a letter from me yesterday containing George's last letter. The news of your sickness and the strange silence of hand made me feel somewhat gloomy. I wrote to George yesterday, conveying the news, and today I have sent him another letter, with much more comforting news, for I was so glad to hear from Han, her letter enclosed in Jeff's received this morning, that I wrote him right away, and sent Han's letter. Mother, I am quite in hopes George will get a furlough. May be my expectations are unfounded, but I almost count on it. I am so glad this morning to hear you are no worse, but change for the better, and dear sister Matt, too, and Sissy. I am so glad to think they are recovering. Jeff's enclosure of ten dollars through Mr. Lane, from the young engineers for the soldiers in hospitals, the most needy cases, came safe, of course. I shall acknowledge it to Mr. Lane tomorrow. Mother, I have written so much about hospitals that I will not write any in this letter. We have had bad weather enough here lately to most make up for the delightful weather we had for five weeks after I came from home. Mother, I do hope you will be careful and not get any relapse, and hope you will go on improving. Do you then think of getting new apartments after the first of May? I suppose Jeff has settled about the lot. It seems to me first-rate as an investment. The kind of house to build is quite a consideration— if any house. I should build a regular Irish shanty myself, two rooms and an end shed. I think that's luxury enough, since I have been down in the army. Well, mother, I believe I will not fill out the sheet this time, as I want to go down without delay to the P.O. and send George's letter and this one. Goodbye, dear mother. Walt. 4. Washington, Monday morning, February ninth, 1863. Dearest Mother, I write to enclose you a letter I have just received from George. His corps, Ninth Army, and perhaps one other are to move either to Fort Monroe or somewhere down there, some say Suffolk. I am in hopes that when they get there, George will still have a site for a furlough. I have written him, I should think, four letters since the 27th of January, and have sent him Han's letter to you in one. I hope he has got most of them before this. I am afraid the three dollars change I sent him is gone. He will write to you as soon as he gets settled wherever they go to. 
I don't know as it makes any difference in respect to danger or fighting from this move. One reason they have to move from the Rappahannock up there is that wood is all gone for miles, forage is scarce to get, and I don't know as there is any need of their staying there for any purpose. In some haste, dearest mother, as I am off to visit for an hour or so one of my hospitals. Your affectionate son, Walt. 5. Office Major Hapgood, Corner 15th and F Streets, Washington, February 13, 1863. Dear Brother, Nothing new. Still, I thought I would write you a line this morning. The four dollars, namely two dollars from Theo A. Drake and two dollars from John D. Martin, enclosed in your letter of the 10th, came safe. They, too, will please accept the grateful thanks of several poor fellows in hospital here. The letter of introduction to Mr. Webster, Chief Clerk, State Department, will be very acceptable. If convenient, I should like Mr. Lane to send it on immediately. I do not so much look for an appointment from Mr. Seward as his backing me from the State of New York. I have seen Preston King this morning for the second time, it is very amusing to hunt for an office, so the thing seems to me just now, even if one don't get it. I have seen Charles Sumner three times. He says everything here moves as part of a great machine, and that I must consign myself to the fate of the rest. Still, in an interview I had with him yesterday, he talked and acted as though he had life in him, and would exert himself to any reasonable extent for me to get something. Meantime, I make about enough to pay my expenses by hacking on the press here and copying in the paymaster's offices a couple of hours a day. One thing is favorable here, namely, pay for whatever one does is at a high rate. I have not yet presented my letters to either Seward or Chase. I thought I would get my forces all in a body and make one concentrated dash, if possible, with the personal introduction and presence of some big bug. I like fat old Preston King very much. He is fat as a hogshead with great hanging chops. The first thing he said to me the other day in the parlor chambers of the Senate, when I sent in for him and he came out, was, Why, how can I do this thing or anything for you? How do I know but you are a secessionist? You look for all the world like an old southern planter, a regular Carolina or Virginia planter. I treated him with just as much hauteur as he did me with bluntness. This was the first time. It afterward proved that Charles Sumner had not prepared the way for me as I supposed, or rather not so strongly as I supposed, and Mr. King had even forgotten it, so I was an entire stranger. But the same day C.S. talked further with Mr. King in the Senate, and the second interview I had with the latter this forenoon, he has given me a sort of general letter endorsing me from New York. One envelope is addressed to Secretary Chase, and another to General Meggs, head quartermaster's department. Meantime, I am getting better and better acquainted with office-hunting wisdom and Washington peculiarities generally. I spent several hours in the Capitol the other day. The incredible gorgeousness of some of the rooms, interior decorations, etc., Rooms used perhaps but for merely three or four committee meetings in the course of the whole year is beyond one's flightiest dreams.
costly frescoes of the style of Taylor's Saloon in Broadway, only really the best and choicest of their sort, done by imported French and Italian artists, are the prevailing sorts. Imagine the work you see on the fine china vases and Tiffany's, the paintings of cupids and goddesses, etc., spread recklessly over the arched ceiling and broad panels of a big room, the whole floor underneath paved with tessellated pavement, which is a sort of cross between marble and china, with little figures, drab, blue, cream color, etc. These things, with heavy, elaborately wrought balustrades, columns, and steps, all of the most beautiful marbles I ever saw, some white as milk, others of all colors, green, spotted, lined, or of our old chocolate color, all these marbles used as freely as if they were common blue flags, with rich door frames and window casings of bronze and gold, heavy chandeliers and mantles, and clocks in every room, and indeed by far the richest and gayest, most un-American and inappropriate ornamenting and finest interior workmanship I ever conceived possible, spread in profusion through scores, hundreds, and almost thousands of rooms. Such are what I find, or rather would find to interest me if I devoted time to it. But a few of the rooms are enough for me. The style is without grandeur and without simplicity. These days the state our country is in, and especially filled as I am from top to toe of late with scenes and thoughts of the hospitals, America seems to be now, though only in her youth, but brought already here, feeble, bandaged, and bloody in hospital. These days, I say, Jeff, all the poppy-show goddesses and all the pretty blue and gold in which the interior capital is got up seem to me out of place beyond anything I could tell, and I get away from it as quick as I can when that kind of thought comes over me. I suppose it is to be described throughout those interiors as all of them got up in the French style. Well, enough for a New York. End of letters 1862 to 3, 1 through 5.